Hello and welcome to another edition of Addition. I'm your host, Adi Adewusi. I'm a big tech product manager, mathematician, futurist, tech optimist, artist, and creator. And I'm here every week bringing you the hot topics in tech, some career advice, an update on the markets, and let you know what I've geeked out about this week. So before I get to today's episode, if you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and hit the like button, subscribe to the channel if you're not already subscribed. If you want the podcast directly into your email inbox, you can subscribe to the Substack. That is editionpod.substack.com. I include the link to the YouTube channel, or it's the YouTube video, as well as the show notes with all the links to the articles, as well as you could listen to the recording as well. If you want to follow me on social media, I'm on TikTok and Instagram at Edition with Addy. I'm on Twitter at Edition Pod. And my personal Twitter is at Addy Adewusi. And if you have any questions that you would like me to answer on the podcast, always anonymously, you can email me editionpod at gmail.com. Okay, so now that that's out of the way, let's get into the market updates. Starting with crypto. So Bitcoin is up 4.26% over the past seven days, and it's hovering around 24,172. Ethereum is up 13.22% over the past seven days, and it's hovering around 1,927. The Ethereum rally is most likely due to the merge. So the Ethereum developers have executed the third and final test merge on the Gurley test network. If you have no idea what the Ethereum merge is, I'm going to quote from the block article linked in the show notes. The move is the final step before the mainnet merge, which will see Ethereum transition from proof of work consensus to proof of stake. The merge has been eagerly anticipated by crypto developers who hope that it will make the Ethereum network significantly more energy efficient and cheaper to use, end quote. So I am going to question the cheaper to use. I have heard mixed answers as to whether Ethereum gas gas fees are going to be lower post-merge. I don't believe they are and I wouldn't bet that they are but that being said just the hype of this uh, transition of the ethereum blockchain is rallying the price of ethereum and if you are invested in ethereum like myself um, this is good news whether the merge actually has a significant impact on whether ethereum runs better or not okay so going to the S&P 500 It is up 3.26% in the past five days. The NASDAQ is up 3.08% in the past five days. So for the past two weeks now, the stock market has had some significant rallies. As I mentioned last week, there were earnings reports, so um, that may have boosted confidence in investors. And I also heard that inflation has at least remained flat month over month. So, but at the same time, we're technically in a recession. So I have no idea how to uh predict where the markets are going as next i'm just glad that i've been investing every paycheck um no matter what the markets have been doing okay so moving on to the hot topics in tech i have two articles that i want to discuss today there's been a lot of tech news but i mentioned you know this is not tech tmz i'm not covering every single article um, i mainly want to focus on articles that affect um holders of crypto as well as uh, employees in tech. So first, let's talk about the calm layoffs. 
So this came out today. I'm going to quote from the Wall Street Journal article. Calm.com Inc., maker of population, popular meditation and wellness app Calm, has laid off 20% of its staff, according to a memo sent by Chief Executive David Coe to employees on Thursday. People familiar with the matter said San Francisco-based Calm employed roughly 400 people and that approximately 90 were laid off. Mr. Coe's memo didn't elaborate on the reasons for the layoffs, but promised employees a more in-depth discussion on the future of the business at an all-hands meeting scheduled for Friday, which is today. One employee who was laid off said company leadership cited macroeconomic trends in explaining the layoffs and told employees that they had tried to reduce expenses in recent months to avoid cutting staff. The employee and another person familiar with the situation said approximately a dozen roles in comms consumer marketing department were eliminated as part of the cuts, end quote. So I'm bringing this up because this is another example of, you know, a recession uh, or not recession, a COVID thriving business that is now reversing as we are coming hopefully to an end of COVID. So um, meditation apps like Headspace and Calm, uh, this became a popular resource for companies to provide to their employees. So it's notable that it was the um, consumer marketers, not necessarily the B2B marketers, business to business, that uh, were laid off because uh, B2B is just a much more predictable, stronger business in general than um, selling to consumers, people like you and me. So um, anyway, with these, you know, tech being in some sort of recession and, you know, companies tying their belts, it's possible that they're letting go of these benefits that they previously had for their employees, like subscriptions to Calm. Um, so also imagine all the people that have been laid off in tech, especially they may have had a subscription to Calm and even though they may really need something like Calm right now, they are, um, they are canceling their subscription. So hopefully we will find out more information after this all hands. Um, but as of right now, um, Calm employees are probably stressed out. Okay, moving on to, to Tornado Cash. I know you, I, you guys wanna hear me talk about this, so let me quote from the CNBC article, and this is from the 8th, which was, I believe, four days ago. So I quote, the Treasury Department has sanctioned the popular cryptocurrency mixing service Tornado Cash for allegedly helping launder over $7 billion of virtual currency. The decision means that Americans are banned from using the service. Similar sanctions were imposed in May 2022 on another popular service, Blender.io. And this just came out today. Um, this is from The Block. So Dutch, I quote from the article, Dutch authorities arrested a developer suspected of involvement in Tornado Cash on Wednesday, two days after the US government sanctioned the crypto mixing service. So um, the U.S. government is definitely taking Tornado Cash seriously. So let's take a few steps back and talk about Tornado Cash. So if you're familiar with crypto, you know that if you actually use your crypto and don't just keep it in your Coinbase or Gemini account, you have something called a wallet and each wallet has an address. 
So whenever you make a transaction on the blockchain, there is a record on the blockchain of your wallet address making this transaction and literally everyone can see it. So let's say you are a hacker and you um, raid you know, some company's wallet or you know, either through some sort of hack attempt, you now have a whole bunch of money that you cannot necessarily move because as soon as you transfer, so first the authorities see your wallet as being the person that stole the money so they have that wallet address. So if you were gonna do anything, like transfer it to you know, a Coinbase so you can cash out, the authorities are immediately going to stop you because they know they can track your wallet through the blockchain. So that is why hackers use services like Tornado Cash, which essentially pool your money with a whole bunch of other people's money and make it so you're that money is no longer traceable to your specific wallet. You can send that money to, let's say, a new wallet that you've set up and happily uh, you know, distribute your cash. Obviously, authorities are not happy about this. So if we talked about like in the fiat world, if I robbed a bank or let's say was doing some sort of illicit activities, based on my research of watching Ozark, I would the only way for me to launder that money would be, you know, through a business or something like that. Um, you know, if you've watched, um, if you've watched Breaking Bad, if you watched Ozark, you have an idea of how money money laundering works in the fiat world. In the crypto world, that is done through services like Tornado Cash and Blender. The difference is that authorities and authorities don't want fiat money laundering either, and if you don't know what fiat means, I'm talking about, um, you know, actual uh, like currency like U.S. dollars, like physical, you know, pieces of paper or, you know, bank balances. Um, that's what the crypto world calls fiat. So uh, authorities don't want fiat money being laundered either, but it's much harder to track that. But at least with, you know, blockchain, they can see exactly what's going on. So that is why the Treasury Department has this sanction. That's why they are on the hunt looking for people involved with this company because they're making it very easy for people to, or they're, they're making it honestly frictionless to um, hack crypto and they wanna put a stop to that. Again, this is good. The less hacks happening on with crypto, the less in the, the more challenging that it is to successfully execute a hack, we're gonna get rid of a bunch of bad actors and there's gonna be more privacy and security in crypto, so this is good for crypto. But again, it's negative press, but at the end of the day, um, Bitcoin and Ethereum are still up, so I would say this is good news. All right, moving on to the career segment. So as you know, I'm doing the first 90 day series. So I'm going to talk about week three at Google, but I'm also going to talk about product management again. I did an episode on this in the past, but I've gotten so many more people reaching out to me, learning more about product management. And I've also seen some discussions and Slack groups that I'm a part of, and I don't necessarily think that they're going the right way about breaking into product management. So I'm gonna talk about that as well. This episode will likely run longer than 15 minutes, but hopefully uh, bear with me. Okay, so week three at Google, 
So week one and two were awesome. I was, you know, doing my onboarding, meeting with my team, doing one-on-ones. And then on Sunday night, I found out that my manager had his twins about two to three weeks earlier than expected. So I knew at some point my manager was gonna go on paternity leave when I started. I think I mentioned that in my Goodbye Microsoft episode. Uh, but twins, the twins came early, so yes, yay, we're happy for the twins, but that means that he is starting his um, paternity leave next Tuesday. So this week has been full of knowledge transfer, um, is in a, meetings in addition to my regular meetings that I attend, in addition to my onboarding activities, in addition to the list goes on. So that is why the podcast is late this week. Um, but the message for week three is asking for help. So, you know, a lot of times we come into these jobs, especially if it's a more senior position or role, and we, we basically have this idea that everyone that we should know what we're doing, even though we literally just got there. And so this is my message to you. I'm encouraging asking for help. So uh, the first people that I asked for help was essentially our PMO, our program management office for our specific team. I happened to sit next to um, you know this person, so it was very easy and convenient for me to ask for help. So because her expertise expertise is in program management and prod and project management, I um, I'm going to work with her to figure out a project plan on how I'm going to execute all of the tasks that I need to get done in the next few weeks. Uh, also, a lot of companies provide coaches. So at Microsoft, I got uh, a dedicated career coach who was not an employee that and we had four sessions and that was within the marketing org. So if you're at Microsoft in the marketing org and have not used these uh, coaches, I highly recommend it. Uh, at Google, they have uh, coaching for so many different things and I was able to meet today with a coach who was a program manager um, and he gave me so much you know valuable help and insight onto how to approach my performance reviews how to have conversations about you know workload and timing what questions to ask vocabulary there's just such a wealth of information that these people are willing to provide. Uh, so definitely ask, you know, if you have access to coaches, I highly recommend using them. And also mentors, so they, they don't need to be your official mentor, but if there are people more senior or people that you know from another company, for example, I connected with some people who I used to work with at Microsoft, who have been at Google a little bit longer. Um, they can provide insight as well. And also greater teammates. So um, if you ever are starting a new role and someone says, oh, if you have any other questions, I'd be happy to help you out, take them up on it. Uh, I definitely had a meeting with a greater team member today and he gave me, or not today, but this week, and he gave me a lot of helpful information about how to navigate Google and Google culture. And of course your manager, but 
you know, in my case, I can't really ask too much of him right now because he literally just had twins, uh, well, his wife. So, um, but know that your manager is a resource and I would use your manager as like, I would ask them to point you in the right direction and not necessarily be the person who sits next to you and holds your hands and walk you through because, um, you know, you're, you're hired to help them. Um, they're not necessarily hired to help you. So, okay, so that's week three, asking for help. Coach, talk to coaches, mentors, teammates, and your manager as well. Moving on, let's talk about product management. So first, what is, what is a product? And I know this is repetitive if you've heard the episode I did a while ago, but I'm sure it's worth refreshing your memory. So there's the products that I'm largely dealing with and that what most people in tech are dealing with is software products. So literally any software that you use, whether it's Microsoft Word or Gmail or uh, Marketo or Salesforce or, um, you know, SurveyMonkey, like any software that you use for free or that you purchase, that is a software product. In tech terms, we call that a product. Um, there's also hardware products. So if you're talking about the Pixel phone, iPhone, MacBook, etc., those are hardware products, you know, chips, microchips, things like that. And of course, there's other products that you're probably more familiar, like consumer packaged goods, like whether it's, um, you know, Dasani water or uh, Maybelline mascara. Like those are, of course, products. But I'm going to focus on software products because that's what most people are interested in working on, at least that I encounter. And it's the only type of product that I have experience um, product managing. So next I want to talk about the different types. So the different types of product managers. So right now, my role at Google is more of a business product manager role. So I'm um, focusing on product needs for business. There's uh, engineering product management, which is um, focusing on working very closely with engineers and, and driving um, the features for at the level that the engineers are going to consume. And there's also hybrid, which I would say was my role at Microsoft. I was working with business just as much as I was working with engineers. Um, in, in tech companies, we business kind of refers to marketing, operations, sales, pretty much everyone besides engineering. Um, so that's what I mean when I say business. So I'm currently in a business product manager role but I have been a hybrid business and engineering product manager. So that's the perspective I can bring. Okay, so what do product managers do? So first and foremost, requirements documents, whether this is a business requirement document, a product requirement document, or a functional requirement document. So I've experienced writing all three, and these are detailed documents outlining essentially what the product needs to do. So, and this is a lot of your time. So um, that's your writing requirements documents. You're also doing stakeholder interviews. 
so stakeholders are typically the um, end users of your product. Um, there's also customers. I see those differently. I would say stakeholders are, are, are like internals, like internal people in the company, or if you're building a product specifically for um, another company, like let's say um, Google was building a product for Apple, let's just say that. Um, you know, the Apple team that was receiving it, they would be their stakeholders. Um, whereas customers, I would say this is more um, people that aren't working at the company, aren't working at your car partner companies. These are, you know, just regular everyday people who went to your website and downloaded your software and are now using it. I see those as customers. But regardless, you need to interview stakeholders and customers if you have them to understand what needs they have for your product. So this means a lot of one-on-one -on -one or you know one-to-many calls where you are you know taking notes, understanding pain points. Um, these are typically cameras on, so it's a lot of talking and to people. Uh, sometimes you may have to do design docs. I would say this is a subset of requirements docs. Sometimes. Uh, engineers or whoever's the end user of your requirements document are they're going to need a visual um, like a visual specs of some sort so um, you may not necessarily be creating that as a product manager you may be creating the requirements for the design doc and then a design team takes over that's what I was doing um, at Microsoft so just be aware that there is a design element as well and you likely do not have direct reports. So um, you have to do something with, that we call influence without authority. So you um, typically managers, product managers do not manage people that could, because they're busy managing products. So um, yeah, you're influencing without authority, which is an art and a skill. And prioritization, that is, what will come up constantly. Uh, there are terms like stack rank, there are so many different prioritization models, understand them, learn about them, use them, because you're always going to need to prioritize and you will find that your stakeholders and your customers need your guidance in prioritization. So you need to be an expert prioritizer. So, um, Okay, now let's move on to who we work with. So we work typically with program managers. So program managers are responsible for driving the program forward. Typically the product in question is part of the overarching program. So your program managers are going to be A, keeping you accountable um, for the requirements documents. They will be creating the roadmap. So basically the, the deadlines and timelines for the product to be released or the features within the product. Um, depending, if you're an engineering product manager, you'll be working with engineers. Um, I am not working directly with engineers in my current role because I'm a business product manager. So I have a engineering product manager that I partner with who then works directly with the engineers. And you will likely, and I just mentioned other, PM, other product managers, so um, 
yes, if you're not working with engineers, you're working with other product managers, and of course you're working with your stakeholders, um, but it's not necessarily a collaborative partnership with stakeholders, it's more of a customer-oriented relationship with your stakeholders. You are you work for your stakeholders, so um, you're making sure that they're being heard, that um, their needs are being met, and you're, you know that you're communicating with them the way they need to do, and that you are letting them know what you are expecting from them. Okay, so who would be a good fit for product management? So for me, and again, I'm specifically talking about software product management, you, you need to be a natural product user and adopter. Like, if you're that person that gets a new iPhone and you need to call Apple support to figure out how to connect your email inbox, I would not recommend going into product management. Um, people, like, you have to kind of be a product person. Um, and if, And I'm not saying, like, you can't learn a product, but if that doesn't come intuitively to you, this is going to be a very um, hard job for you. Um, so, and feel free to, in the comment, or you know, send me an email if you wanna know more about what this means, but I feel like you, if you know, you know. Like, if you're someone that picks up you know, new software and new technology really quick, um, especially if you have ideas on how it would be better, like, yes become a product manager. Um, you also have to be a people person. This is a customer service job. I've, I've tweeted about this in the past. Um, people have this idea that product managers are you know, these visionary leaders that charge ahead with you know, their idea and see their vision through and are, you know, that's not it. You are in service to others. So uh, relationship management, customer success are all skill sets that a product manager needs. So um, I don't see a lot of that um, when people talk about becoming a product manager. This is a customer service job. Okay, so how to become a product manager. So I know that there are all these certifications and courses coming out for product management. I would, I would not do those because if I, well, let me talk about what I think is essential to being a product manager, and then I'll talk about why these product management classes and courses aren't helpful if you have if you don't have these things um, because you need this type of experience. So, first and foremost, fo foremost, being a product subject matter expert or SME. So, honestly, anyone ha who has been working in corporate in the same type of function their whole career is perfect for becoming a product manager. Because you, let's say you work in finance and you've been working in QuickBooks the whole, pretty much for your whole career. You are a QuickBooks me or a subject matter expert. So you could easily take a product management role for a company that is building a QuickBooks alternative or um, building custom enhancements to QuickBooks. Like, so that's how I became a product manager. I had been working in marketing technology my whole career, um, whether it's um, automation, marketing automation platforms, email platforms, website platforms. 
Um, that's literally all I had been doing. So even though I had no explicit product management experience, only someone with my level of depth of knowledge would be able to step into um, the product management roles that I have taken on. Next, um, another way to become a product manager is from being a software engineer. And software engineers are perfectly positioned to become engineering product managers because they know how to speak engineering language to write, you know, in these, you know, requirements documents. They know how to communicate to the engineers. They understand the nuances of working with engineers. One day I will talk about that, but right now I am still in recovery mode from working with engineers. Um, so, and especially if they've been working on the same type of product. Again, that subject matter expert piece is huge. It's significant, like it's essential. Um, so if you wanna be a product manager and you have been kind of like jumping from di completely different types of roles to completely different types of roles, you I like the best preparation to be a product manager is to stay in one type of role, I would say for at least three years. Um, so you can become a subject matter expert. And you also need to have be a strong business writer. And um, business writing is all about clarity, it's all about um, structure of documents to make it easy to read. Um, you know, I mean, there are so many courses on business writing, things like that. Um, yeah, you have to be comfortable writing. And I think that what gets, uh, causes a challenge for software engineers moving into product management because they haven't necessarily developed their business writing skills. So I would highly recommend taking a business writing class if you do not feel confident. Like if you, if every time you start to write an email, you get anxious and it takes you, you know, three times as long as you expected it, like take a business writing course. Okay, so those are my thoughts on product management. I'm happy to take additional questions. You can email me, editionpod at gmail.com. You can DM me on social media and I'd be happy to answer. Okay, so what am I geeked out about this week? Uh, completely random, but potpourri, and specifically homemade potpourri. So if you're someone like myself who receives flowers pretty regularly, or if you like to buy your own flowers, um, it's always really sad when you just kind of throw your dead flowers in the trash. So what I have started doing is drying out my flowers and just by picking off the petals and laying them on the ground, like I'm not doing any special fancy thing and turning them into potpourri. So they, and potpourri is great because it smells good. It's kind of like a built-in air freshener. It looks nice. So it's a, you know, a decoration and you can also, you know, you know, divide it up into, you know, cute little baggies and they can be gifts or party favors. So I just received a bouquet of flowers this week and um, I'm turning it into potpourri and adding it to my potpourri collection. So one of these episodes, I will show you my potpourri collection. And um, yeah, so that's what I'm geeked out about this week. I know that I ran long today, but I hope you found this helpful. As always, my YouTube videos have chapters so you can skip directly to the chapter that you're interested in. 
the show notes, have the timestamps. So even though it's long, um, you can go straight to what you need. All right. Well, have a great weekend. I will talk to you next week. Bye.